So let's take a little bit of time before we break for lunch to see if there are any questions about this particular aspect of cultivating equanimity. Not always easy, can be fairly subtle. I don't know if this was addressed yesterday morning because I wasn't here in the morning. Um, And I don't know if we want to go here, but... um, (laughs) So is it best... What... Let me think how I want to word this. Um, So, you know, our world is kind of crazy right now. And with um, just daily news being troubling, how does one stay up on the news but not get, like, rocked every night by it? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel in my life I've never felt so rocked as I have in yeah. the past few years. And yeah. so I thought I was, like, doing really well with my practices, but I'm finding mm-hmm. myself... Mm-hmm. coming up with really strong emotions yeah. that I don't feel comfortable with. Yeah. How many people can relate to Dee's question? Okay. So I think that's actually part of the answer. I think our society is structured in such a way that we feel very isolated and separated from one another, and I think that's, that's part of the problem uh, for a whole variety of reasons, our society has become structured in such a way that we, you know, community is breaking down more and more. And um, so, <coughs> Will asked a question yesterday about going through difficult times. And, you know, one of the things I said was don't do it alone. I think that goes for particularly the, the challenging things we're facing on the planet these days. It's, a, it's, too, it's, it's more than we can bear alone. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's wise to try to bear it alone. So having community that you can explore, mourn, uh, act with is very important. Um, I think there's this balancing act to talk about equanimity between not closing our eyes and turning away from suffering on the one hand and not becoming overwhelmed or flooded on the other. And I think we need to move back and forth between those. You know, we need to sort of track our own nervous system to know how much can I take in and when am I getting overactivated and, you know, how much of the news do I really actually need to watch and, and, you know, what's enough and so forth. Um, so that's, that's very important. And finding ways to uh, regulate one's intake of information, whether it means you know, doing a, like a technology fast for a day a week or only watching the news at certain times and only for a certain amount of time or really tracking one's visceral response. And if there's a strong impact, then disengaging and just being with that. Right, rather than continuing to take in more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so community, self-regulation, and then I think the last thing is taking action. Finding is it's 
you know, there's more happening than any one person can engage with, but finding like what's, what, are the, what is an issue that you feel strongly about and want to give your time and energy to and um, feeling engaged uh, is one of the best ways to handle those feelings, of, those experiences of overwhelm and helplessness is when we can actually do something. Uh, it, it, it gives an outlet for that energy to plug in. And we'll, we'll explore that more this afternoon, looking at how equanimity um, becomes a basis for uh, skillful action and not burning out. As I went through this uh, meditation that you guided, what came to mind was about our interconnectedness and ways that our actions do affect others' mm-hmm. happiness and unhappiness. Yes. So what about that? I mean, I, know, I guess that gets into our taking responsibility for our own actions. Exactly, yeah. And or, but also blame. If I thought of someone I was saying this to, they would say, oh, well, what about that time you did this and uh-huh. that? You know? Right. Well, we, we can't determine someone else's reaction. So that's, that's actually a, 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 an entanglement and a misunderstanding. Like Our actions do affect one another, right? But the same words will have a completely different effect on one person versus another. The same words will have a completely different effect on the same person on a different day. So is it in our action or is it in their response? I don't think it's one or the other. It's more complicated than that. So yes, of course we affect one another, but ultimately that person's happiness or unhappiness depends upon their actions, which includes their actions of mind, which includes how, the, how, how we each relate to and respond to the events of our life. So if somebody you know, gives me the finger while I'm driving, I can get really angry and incensed and what's wrong with them and who do they think they are and now I'm suffering. Is that suffering because they flipped me off or is it because of my reaction? They can give me the same figure and I can say, wow, what's that person's life like? Or how are they doing? Like they must be having a really stressful day. You know, now I'm feeling compassion. So it's subtle. I think what, the, what these equanimity phrases are pointing to is they're trying to illuminate the mistaken notion that I can somehow make things all better for you. If you only did this, if you only listened to me, that's what it's pointing. Thank you. It's an important, important point and question. So maybe one or two more. Simple thing I wanted to say. I, th- I think it's very quick. But um, the one of the you know you are the heir to or owner of your karma. Mm-hmm. Your happiness and unhappiness depend on your actions. I mean, what I when I was repeating that to myself, what I found myself saying was, your happiness and unhappiness depend upon my actions, <laughs> not upon your wishes. Yes. And I realized, 
Wow, that is that is really how I do think about certain things. Yeah. And it was very illuminating. Great. And then I had, you know, correcting yeah. myself. Great. So some of that's yeah, it is. Some of it's also it's quite common with um, any of the Brahma Vihara practices where we're using phrases in this way. That when the when the level of concentration, focus, and attention goes down, the words start to get jumbled, and it's just a sign that we're not actually present and paying attention. I, I, also, I wouldn't read too much into it necessarily. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe last last one. You spoke of uh, uh, Buddha and his friends and made the comment that that um, as the stream of their karma ended, mm. um, you know, he felt this loss. Um, could you speak a moment to the a moment more about the physics of karma? Um, it seems that that karma persists, even though, um, yeah, even though the person no longer exists uh-huh. and has no longer any actions. Uh-huh. Um, his past actions, right, are uh, still bearing fruit now. They well, yeah. particularly for the Buddha, but right. but his actions come from the actions that. He collected and focused um, and rationalized, made sense of, um, and passed on. And so if you could speak to that for a moment. Sure, I'll give it a go. <laughs> with the caveat, with the understanding that um, one of, there are certain things that the Buddha said were imponderable, that if you tried to think about it too much, it would drive you crazy. So... Karma is one of them, the, the, the intricacies and function of karma, because if you, if you just even kind of consider like the laws of physics and the totality of existence and all of the factors that are determining any one moment of experience, it's beyond what the human mind can fathom, right? And then you start, like just on the physical plane, and then you start factoring in consciousness and intention and emotion and the psyche, it's, it's vast. So... So that said, the, the teaching, so the teachings on kamma, on karma, uh, I'm a little bit delinquent in having failed to mention this earlier, are uh, the full teaching is what's known as kamma vipaka. And so kamma means action, and vipaka means result. Okay? So actions bear results. What we do and say matters. It has an effect. Intentional, specifically intentional action is the teaching. Action done with conscious volitional intention has uh, an impact on the mind stream. Obviously, unintentional actions have effects on the physical plane as well, right? But in terms of the moral impact, it's that quality of intention that determines the valence, the directionality of the result. So the distinction between the action and the result, between kamma and vipaka, is a little bit what I'm hearing you ask about. So even when someone is long gone, the vipaka, the results of their actions, may still be playing out. 
right? Because of the interrelatedness of life. So the effects of the Buddha's actions 2,600 years ago are still playing out today. We all wouldn't be here today if that weren't the case. But the understanding is that as we practice, that the, the first stage of practice is one of transforming our volitional action from unwholesome or mixed action, where we're, where we're sowing the seeds of stress and suffering and difficulty for ourselves, to sowing seeds of um, well-being and clarity and peace, actively doing intentional actions that will bring about states of brightness. And then as, those, as the mind becomes more bright and wholesome, then we use that, uh, that state of goodness to do what's the, called the, the karma to end karma, which is the action of the Eightfold Path, which is a certain, which is the, the practice of um, the Eightfold Path and the cultivation of the Seven Factors of Awakening that actually uh, frees the mind from... Uh, from relating to experience in a way that propels us into the future so that the mind is able to rest in the presence in the present in a way that is uh, free and undisturbed and we stop creating more uh, results. We stop doing intentional action that keeps creating future results and then we're just living out the results of past action. So it's said that an arahant, one who's fully awakened, uh, doesn't make new karma. They still act out of compassion or wisdom, but there, there's that, that push of, of volition has been extinguished in the, in the mind stream. And so they're, uh, they're still uh, reaping the fruits of past actions, positive and negative. Um, but when the, when the physical body dies, the mind stream uh, is kind of, released, yeah, thank you, released, but there's, it's not known what happens then. It's kind of also one of those things, but that there's a sense that the, the energy, the psychic energy of the, the mind stream and the being is, is at peace. It's no longer seeking something in the way that we experience our life constantly seeking something. At that level of action and reaction, yeah. But it seems that at the level of in, at the level of intention, mm-hmm. the teachings have captured that intention, encoded that intention in software, if you want to put it that way, and those persist, those continue. So the act, the action itself, or the intention behind the action, is encoded and captured and passed on. Their intentions, their ideas that were contributed. Mm-hmm. Um, to the the total understanding mm-hmm. of Buddha and his followers w- were captured in those teachings and they were passed forward. Mm-hmm. And so, y- you know, that that's a deeper layer and yeah. it, uh, you know, yes. the next layer down and it starts to get confusing very fast. As right, you say. again, it's fascinating to think about. It's, an, it's a neat idea that you're proposing. Um, again, I think that the 
it just comes back to the sense of investigation and the teachings and seeing what frees the mind from suffering, really. Because it's, it's, it's interesting to ponder ideas and come up with theories, but does it lead to our ability to be at peace in the moment? That's really what the point of the teachings is. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, Mary will... Uh, Sharon will have a few announcements, and um, after lunch we'll look at uh, equanimity as a basis for action and a few ways to, uh, a few more ways to cultivate equanimity in our daily life.